Um, yeah, so I guess to understand what we are talking about, we need to introduce a little bit um, the addressing system of the internet. This is Severina Arson, a researcher at the French Center for Research on Contemporary China and chief editor of the journal China Perspectives. That global addressing system she's talking about is the domain name system, or DNS. So the domain name system is in fact, a directory that translates these numbers into addresses, into words. The numbers are IP addresses, strings of numbers that identify the location of any given device on the internet, be it your phone, computer, or the server of a website. Things like... And the words are domain names. That's what you or I would use to remember those devices. Things like... The DNS works like a phone book. It keeps track of those names and numbers so that when you type in it takes you to It's a critical structure in the architecture of the internet and yet it remains largely unknown. And it's important because if that system were to break, you would only be able to access the sites whose IP addresses you knew by memory. And if you tamper um, with the domain name system, with the domain name system, then you can just put a website offline which means it is a big issue in terms of freedom of speech, in terms of access of the different communities to the internet and to the information that's online. Uh, it is also a big commercial issue. If uh, you put down a website that's uh, a business or that's selling some things, um, then it is a really a big money issues for the owners of that website. Um, so it really can have uh, very important consequences. I'm Adrian Lilly, and this is Pod Academy. Today, we're on the internet in China. Talking about regulations, censorship policies, sovereignty, and the Great Firewall. To do this, I'm talking with Severine about her article, Internet Domain Names in China, Articulating Local Control with Global Connectivity. It's part of a special feature of China Perspectives. Find out more on how you can read the article at podacademy.org. Um, but the very point of using the DNS to block uh, particular websites or to use keyword, keyword filtering is to have a selective um, blocking, a selective connection to the global internet. Uh, so it enables the Chinese state to, in fact, have the best of both, have the best of the global internet in terms of trade, uh, access to, to fashion trends, access to self-expression in a certain sense, that it, it helps people vent off when they really have something to say. It helps them express their identity, their wills, their, their aspirations in life without necessarily being critical about uh, the state of their own country. And at the same time, it allows to keep a certain amount of political control. So she points out the contradictions faced by China in the early days of the internet. That, on the one hand, there is this need to be connected to the infrastructure of the global internet, and on the other, the need to maintain a kind of political control. To express this, official statements from China relating to their activity and regulations started using the term cyber sovereignty or digital sovereignty. I asked Severine to talk a little bit about what this means. Okay, you also, you mentioned that idea of, of sovereignty 
and you mentioned this in the in the article a lot as well, which is that idea of digital sovereignty. I've also seen that as cyber sovereignty and internet sovereignty. What does that mean when that gets brought up or what's the implication there? All the governments in the world actually are concerned about the fact that the transnational aspect of the internet may make it a problem for them to implement their own laws on their own territory. So, for example, if you sell a counterfeit product on a website that is hosted in the United States and you sell it to a French customer or to a Chinese customer, um, the French or the Chinese government will have difficulties to prevent that counterfeit product to reach their um, their territory and to find a person uh, responsible for the for the sale. And so this can be a, a, really a concern for them. Also, another difficulty is that the laws or the principles can be different from one country to another. So even for the owners of the websites, it can be a challenge to comply with the laws of the many countries from where they can be accessed. For example, Google has had representatives prosecuted in Italy or in other countries for uh, contents that were uh, referenced on Google, or I think it was YouTube maybe, because it was technically legal in the United States where Google is located, but not legal in Italy or in other countries. So they have had to figure out ways to make sure that their employees are safe and that they are still acting within the law when, wherever they are operating. And so that is one meaning of sovereignty. It's how to uh, make sure that the laws can effectively be implemented and effectively be respected by the, the citizens and that they don't affect the social order in your country. And the Internet really makes that difficult to happen. And, and so that's why the governments are organizing every year discussions, debates on how to make sure we coordinate in, a, in an efficient way to to just have the laws obeyed on their territory. Uh, of course, the, the ones that are more vocal about this are some of the more authoritarian governments like China or Russia also is, um, is very vocal about internet sovereignty because one aspect of it is also to, to control public speech online. And so in their particular understanding of digital sovereignty, they want to make sure that they can regulate the internet in such a way that they will be able to control what is set online and they will have legitimacy to censor the online content. So the Chinese government has always been very clear about the fact that they believe it is legitimate for them to control and censor what people say online. So um, they are actually very, very clear uh, in their public speeches about the fact that if one is in China, it is normal for the Chinese government to filter what they can access and to prevent them to access a certain number of online content from abroad or to uh, regulate the online content that is produced within China. So that leads sort of the next question, which is how, how is that sovereignty being realized in China on a technical level? I think it's useful uh, analytically to, to distinguish between the contents that are produced within China and the contents that are located outside of China. So within China, um, 
the control of the contents is mainly undertaken through um, regulation, actually. The, the regulation is made so that the internet content providers uh, or all the internet platforms that enable you to post your own contents online uh, are responsible before the law, responsible of all the contents uploaded by their users. So this means if I use uh, Baidu or if I use Sina uh, to post my own blogs, uh, then Sina will be responsible for the con for the blog that I write. This means that at the company level, there needs to be some controls, both technical and human controls. That is, they first implement filters by keywords that will highlight any blog posts containing sensitive words like the names of the leaders, for example, or like um, topics that are considered sensitive at a particular time. And then if there is anything that's unclear for the filtering technique, then uh, there might also be a, another layer of human uh, filtering, that is people paid to check the contents and to decide whether a blog post or a a Weibo post will be will be sensitive uh, and needs to be deleted, and so actually most of the control is done at the level of uh, your internet service provider or at the level of the the content service providers, uh, platforms like Sina, Weibo, and so on. So, is there something that makes these controls different than in other places? What is it that justifies terms like the Great Firewall? and the kind of mysticism that sometimes surrounds the Chinese internet. Severine approaches her work from a political science and humanities background. So I asked her if she thought there was anything that was different about the layout of the internet in China. So, yeah, I, I had to, to spend some thought on, on this particular question because, first of all, because I'm no computer scientist, so it's a bit of a hard question for me, technically. But still, I have the, the feeling that the specificity of China in terms of building the internet is not so much technical. Uh, it's not so much in terms of how the, the structure or the layout is uh, is built, because uh, it's, it still is a network of networks, uh, if you think of it as various internet providers like China Mobile, China Telecom, China Unicom, and, and not a handful of other carriers and other internet service providers connecting connecting their uh, their networks together and then connected, connecting to foreign carriers uh, so that they are in, uh, linked to the, the global internet. Uh, so that sounds to me as quite similar to the rest of the world's internet structure. But in fact, uh, what I think might be different uh, is the regulation of it, is how the state has put some barriers on how uh, one can use these networks and how one can use these uh, copper wires and uh, fiber optic wires, so to speak. Um, for example, in, in the regulation that um, organizes a licensing system for the internet service providers, um, if you want, first of all, only a very limited number of internet service providers are allowed. Um, so, for example, I guess if you're Google or Facebook and you might need a really, really 
important uh, amount of data. You can be your own service provider. You can uh, lay out your own infrastructure and then get connected to other so, uh, to other networks and and thus um, uh, become part of the internet. But you cannot do that in China. You cannot be a private company or a really rich person and and just uh, have your own wires and and then go peer with other internet service providers and become part of the internet. That's not possible because the state requires that you go get a license uh, with the Ministry of uh, Industry and Information Technology, which is in charge of this licensing. You mentioned that the complexity of the regulations in China also prevents more people from doing this. Yes, absolutely. So the that's one other aspect of this regulation. It's the control of contents, the control of what you can say. And some of the uh, laws are uh, written with a very vague wording. Uh, picking quarrels, for example. Uh, many people are arrested recently for picking quarrels. Spreading rumors, disturbing public order or disturbing social stability, for example. I mean, it can be some of it can can be uh, pretty reasonable, but on the other side, how do you dis- how do you define it? How do you know exactly where the boundary is, and how can you be sure that your own expression or your own behavior does not uh, disrupt social stability? And so this uh, leaves a lot of leeway for the state to overinterpret and to, in fact, arrest anybody they like uh, in the name of disrupting social stability. And that's uh, that's usually one of the uh, excuses they find to arrest dissidents or to arrest people who have most the most critical expression online. In recent years, many of these regulations have become increasingly strict. For example, just last month, at the end of March 2016, a new law was drafted that could force website owners operating in China to apply for China-based domain names. This means that websites ending in things like .com or .net must also register with a .cn, or a Chinese character domain, like .zhongguo or .gongsi. Like many similar regulations, the draft law is vague in its wording, and the exact implications are yet to be seen. But it does touch on the larger trend of tightening controls under the Xi Jinping administration. Uh, Under the Xi Jinping administration, the politics of censorship became a little bit more tense and a little bit um, strict, more strict. Clearly, the new administration uh, has wanted to show a stronger hand. They have blocked more VPNs. They have blocked uh, Gmail, although that is not uh, blocked all the time and not for everybody. But still, they have shown some signs of a stronger and um, and harsher censorship policy. So um, I believe it's more for political reasons than for technical reasons. I believe they really want to to show that they are not ready to make any compromise. And, um, and also that they have understood that the size of the Chinese market uh, has reached a critical level where they don't really need um, the rest of the world. They, they are strong enough to attract foreign businesses and they are strong enough to encourage foreign businesses to comply with the Chinese rules. And if that is not the case, then they can build their own businesses and the size of the Chinese market is big enough for these businesses to, um, to strive and to, to be powerful. The size of the domestic Chinese market is no small point. 
Estimates put the number of internet users in China at over 720 million. For perspective, that's more internet users than the entire population of North America. And the country's censorship policies have, in some ways, largely benefited domestic Chinese tech companies by blocking foreign competitors from reaching the market. The censorship that is done in China has been very often criticized for being mostly against foreign competitors of, of the Chinese uh, internet services. For example, when Google was struggling uh, on the Chinese market at the beginning of the 2000s, and then they had to decide whether they wanted to um, to still have a Google.cn or not. It was said that the, the political pressure that the Chinese government was putting on them to censor their uh, search results was also aimed at putting their competitor Baidu in a more favorable position. In the same way, all the the companies that have been blocked in China, uh, like Facebook, like Twitter, when they when they were blocked, then it gave room for Chinese competitors to grow in their and Chinese copycats actually to grow and take that room. And so uh, the the censorship that consists in blocking one particular website through its domain name or through its IP address has often been seen as a way to uh, to provide room for the development of a domestic industry in the field of the internet. So whether that was the main purpose or just a byproduct of political control remains to be seen. But still, it had that effect that uh, some major Chinese companies have developed at the expense of uh, of the, the mostly American uh, websites that were that were blocked by the what we call the Great Firewall of China. That is the the uh, the blocking of foreign websites. So I guess from that we can jump over to the the Great Firewall. I mean I think the use of the term I mean it really kind of forces people to view China in terms of its isolationist past and in terms of having this protectiveness of its sovereignty. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about what the term means and, I mean, how it's actually functioning, because you mentioned um, it's more of a selective access as opposed to a, a wall. The, the term Great Firewall was invented at the end of the 1990s, early 2000s. It, it is a very powerful image to represent a separated network that would be really very different from the rest of the world's internet. And so it was a very successful image. Uh, until now, uh, it's still very classic to use uh, the notion of the Great Firewall to represent the Chinese Internet. Also, uh, we often hear the word intranet to represent the same idea that the Chinese Internet would be very separated. In fact, it would not be very difficult to actually separate the, the, the Chinese Internet from the rest of the world or just cut it off entirely. Um, they can do that also at a regional level, they, like they did in Xinjiang after uh, the riots that occurred in 2009. For several months, the whole region was entirely cut off from the Internet. So for that, you don't need to use the DNS. You don't need to uh, filter keywords or anything. You just need to tell the ISPs to stop providing service. From this notion of selective connection, I think it's a good uh, transition to... To see that, in fact, it it ends up making the Chinese internet not separated, but rather uh, more localized. 
uh, in the sense that um, the kind of contents that you can access from the from the Chinese territory and with and through the Chinese ISPs can be different in a certain sense from that you can access other in other places. But at the same time, it, it must be noted that China pioneered this uh, DNS blocking and keyword filtering. It was also followed in that by other authoritarian countries like Iran, Tunisia, um, just to mention a couple of them, but also uh, later on by democratic countries for a number of other reasons, uh, including um, uh, preventing cybercrime and limiting uh, exposure of children to pornography, for example. And so DNS blocking was also used. It's, it's, wide, it's used very widely all over the world now, uh, including in France. Australia also was... Uh, very keen to implement that sort of measures. Um, since the revelations by Edward Snowden, we know also that um, the secret services use a great deal of internet filtering for intelligence. So the internet is not uh, really uh, displayed in the same way for every person in the world. It really depends on where you're situated. And so this all reminds us that the Internet, in fact, is not entirely in a limbo. You know, it's not an entirely virtual territory where no laws would apply. On the contrary, many laws actually apply um, because the Internet has uh, material inf infrastructure. It has copper wires, fi fiber optic wires and routers, all of which are situated materially in a territory. It has companies and institutions which uh, are incorporated in territories and subject to the laws of that territories. And it has people and employees and users who all are also subject to the laws of the countries uh, where they are. And so there are, in fact, many laws that can apply. And that's a great leverage for every government, uh, every country's government to, um, to act uh, and to uh, impose constraints on our behaviors online. If you're interested in this topic and would like to learn more, consider downloading a copy of the special feature of China Perspectives. You can find it at cefc.com.hk. Look for the feature called Shaping the Chinese Internet. Links to the article and additional resources are also available at PodAcademy, podacademy.org. Thanks for listening. This is Pod Academy. I'm Adrian Lovely.